So if you <clears throat> haven't been with us uh, this month, um, right after Easter, we began a, a series called A Critical Journey. Because when you receive Christ, and you, Jesus said, right, come follow me. <laughs> and so anybody throughout history who's actually decided to follow Jesus goes on a journey. We call it the adventure with God here because it's just crazy sometimes. And at K2, our mission is to actually invite every one of you in here and to equip you to live out the adventure of following God. And, uh, and that's what I'm hoping to be able to do today uh, is to, to give some equipping for you in, in a certain stage of something I believe that most of us in this room will go through at some point or another. And so last week, we talked about there will be times, right, that God, when God's ways are not our ways. And he makes that, in my thoughts, he says, are not your thoughts. In fact, 15.5 billion light years away is what our scientists, right, say the end of the galaxy is. He goes, that's how high my thoughts are, according to your thoughts. That's how high my ways are compared to your ways. And so we just talked about last week, because God is so much bigger than we are, that he unsettles us at times because he will ask us to do things that we don't want to do because they're his ways and they're not our ways. But then also sometimes things happen to us. We live in this world and we go through really difficult times and, we, and our faith gets unsettled because we're like, well, wait a second, my, and we'll often say this, my God would never do that, right? And so we struggle to really know and understand this God. Well, today, I'm going to take you one step deeper into this unsettling. And I believe I'm going to share with you one of the most important truths that I can share with you. It was, it's been one of the most important truths for me in my life. And what's interesting is I didn't learn this until I was 32. And what was interesting is I had been in ministry for 10 years. And you know what's weird? When, when, when you accept the call to go into ministry, you know what's kind of weird? You actually have to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> like you don't get that freedom to choose because it's nice out or the snow's good, right? I'm like, you have to be here every week. So I put that together like 10 years every week. That's like 520 messages <laughs> that I had heard. And what was crazy was 520 messages, and that doesn't mean all the other ones I listened to before ministry and I had never heard this message. Now, I, I will give some grace, because sometimes a message is given and you don't hear it, right? Anybody else? <laughs> like, so maybe that's the case. But it wasn't until I was 32 years old. And what I realized is sometimes it's not that God is asking us to do things that we don't want to do that unsettles me. And sometimes it's not just because things are happening around me. But sometimes God actually does things to us that are unsettling. And so, um, and when I learned this lesson, when I was 32, I was actually finishing up my master's um, in Southern California. So I'd been a part of a church back in Detroit in 1990. We planted this church called Kensington, and it was an amazing experience. And I, and I was thrilled. I, I feel like I was in a place where I got to use all of my gifts, so that was super exciting. It felt, it felt like I was in a special place. I, I had tons of friends. Um, I had a salary, you know. I mean, that life was really good. But I felt like I was supposed to finish my master's in theology, so I went out to California. And little did I know that when I got out to California, this is how I describe it. I feel like God dug a hole, and he threw me in, and he just covered me over with dirt. And for a year and a half, 
I felt like all he did was strip things away from me. So my whole life, I've just kind of been a leader. I think partly it's just who got me to be, right? When I was in elementary school, I'd be out on the playground and people go, Dave, what are we going to do? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just, that was just part of my thing. So I was always, I've always led. And, and at Kensington, right, I'm a teacher. I used to lead worship. That was one of my main responsibilities back in Detroit is I was a worship leader. And when I got out to California, it was like God just said to me, I don't want you to teach. I don't want you to sing. I don't want you to lead. And I'm kind of extroverted. And he said, and I'm going to give you two friends, and that's it. And everywhere else I went, I was just invisible. It's like he took everything away from me. I mean, I go to school, my professor, my fellow classmates. It was like nobody could even see I, that I was there. I go to churches, and I'd actually volunteer, right? I even volunteered to set up and tear down a portable church, and they didn't want me on their team. It was the weirdest thing. I'm like, man, what is going on? So I was really struggling. And here's what I felt like God was saying to me. David, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? In fact, there was one point where it was so, I was struggling so much that I, I shared this with one of my two friends, and he was actually on staff at this church. And I said, man, I just feel like God is taking everything away from me. He doesn't want me to do anything. He's stripping me completely and he goes, that is so funny. He goes, because I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in one of our staff meetings, and, we, and, and they'll say, man, we really need this done. He's like, oh my gosh, I should ask Dave. He's done that for 10 years. He could be able to do that. And he goes, and every time I think that, immediately I'd hear God say to me, don't ask him. And I said, well, I'm not surprised. I don't know what's going on, but this is killing me. Have you ever been at a place in your life where it feels like God just strips everything away from you. So in the middle of that, I actually uh, went out with a, a fellow student one day. And I remember back in 1990 when I interviewed for, for Kensington, I was 25 years old, and we were sitting in a big boy. Anybody remember big boy restaurants? <laughs> okay. So I'm in big boy. I'm in, yeah, you guys like big boy. All right. I, I, and I'm in a booth, and we're having this big interview. And they, in the middle of it, they asked me this question. And they say, Dave, What's your passion? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, I probably should say youth ministry, right? Since that's what I'm interviewing for. But I remember I was just honest with him. I said, you know what? I'll be totally honest with you. My passion is Jesus. And right now, it gets fleshed out in youth ministry, but literally I would do anything he wants me to do. I just, my passion is Jesus. So I'm out with this fellow student one day and we're in this beautiful day like today. We're sitting in a park. I'm sitting on the grass with her. And she asked me this question. She says, hey, Dave, what's your passion? And I said, well, what do you mean? Do you mean like with ministry or with life? Or she goes, I don't know, just what's your passion? And I said, well, I just got to tell you, man, ever since I've known Christ, it's like he's so real to me. He's so alive to me. And, and as soon as I got into ministry and I got into churches, I just realized there's so many people who I'm just going, I don't know if you know my God. <laughs> because, wait, because, and I just, I so want people to experience the reality of Christ. I want, I, and I, just, I want them to be free. I want them to be full. I want them to know him and not just go to church. <laughs> and so, and then and I said, I can little, almost feel my heart just pound in my chest when I think about that. And so then I said, well, what do you, what's your passion? And she goes, well, I probably should say Jesus. And as soon as she said that, it's like the Holy Spirit went, bam. <laughs> and I wasn't slain in the Spirit. <laughs> But I was slain in the spirit. 
And I literally, I was sitting on the grass, and I just fell back on my back, and I just, and I said, I'm so sorry. I just need this conversation to be over. And I literally just asked her to leave. And it was a very awkward moment. <laughs> but I'm laying there on the ground, and she, she graciously got up, and I, I couldn't even talk anymore, and she left. And it was one of the most sweetest moments I've ever had with God. And he said to me, David, seven years ago, when somebody asked you what your passion was, it was me. And seven years later, it's ministry. And he goes, that is absolutely unacceptable. And what I realized in that moment is I may never do ministry again. And you know what was weird? Is I realized God could just take it away from me. He could just take it away if he wanted to. And again, I feel like he looked at me and he said, David, am I enough for you? And so for a year, nothing. And then I'll never forget, man. Thank you, God. I went to this tiny little, I don't even remember what it was. It was kind of like this little conference. There was only about 50 of us there. And this guy got up and he started speaking. He said, you know what? He goes, in Christianity, we think the journey with God, discipleship is kind of like this. He goes, we receive Christ. It's like a seed that goes into the ground. And then its roots go down into God. And then eventually you, does this sound familiar? Right? This is everything I've been teaching you for the last week. He goes, and then you grow. You finally grow in Christ, and you become this tree, and then fruit comes off your tree. And then we go, and that's Christianity. Doesn't this sound great? It does sound great. He goes, he goes, but why don't people read the rest of the story? And then he read this passage. Look at this. This is Jesus, okay? In John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that be does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. When you're a fruitful person, okay, so this is where we're at. We've talked about every stage here. We've talked about brand new, okay, figuring out Christianity, figuring out Jesus. We've talked about growing in him. We've talked about being fruitful, but apparently, if you're fruitful like this, right, this is our tree here, this beautiful, right, like that's us. It's like, man, we're lush and we're green. We've got apples. And again, like we said, right, those apples aren't for the tree. The tree isn't eating those. <laughs> He's producing fruit, right? God's given you a gift to give to other people. Now, how many of you have ever seen a pruned tree? Okay, look at this. Ain't that beautiful? <laughs> Ain't that beautiful? Here's what's crazy is God, our loving Heavenly Father, possesses one of these things. <laughs> and he said, guess what, man? If you are loving me and faithful to me and you produce fruit, I'm coming after you with one of these. <laughs> and I tell you what, when God comes with these, you're like, what are you doing? I'll never forget, man, my, my home, we live in Sugar House, and we have, uh, our whole backyard is just covered with grapevines. So I, our home was built in 1950. I think the guy must have planted them in 1950, right? They're old, they're big. So when we moved in, they, you know, they were just these big roots, and there wasn't much happening to them. And so in our early days here at K2, there was a young couple who's, who came over for dinner. And they saw our, our, our vines back there, and they said, hey, um, my parents actually own a vineyard. He said, would you like us to come back and, and actually prune your vines for you? I'm like, oh, that'd be great. So a couple days later, I go to work. 
I come home, I go to my backyard, and I'm like, they killed our vines. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I was really mad. I'm like, I ask them to prune these things. Look at this. There's nothing left. Nothing. I was so angry. And then that fall, you guys know what happened, right? Are you kidding me? Now our grapes, it's a pain in the butt because they grow all over our neighbor's trees and over our garage. And I, we have fruit and grapes all over the place. So you guys, here you go. Open up your program inside. Follow along with me. Here's what we need to understand. If you go on a critical journey with Jesus Christ, if you follow Christ and he's producing fruit out of your life, you need to know that pruning is for every fruitful branch. This will be a part of your life if you are a fruitful person. No one escapes this. And let me just say this, and it's not the same experience for everyone. It's not. Amy just shared with us that hers has been five years and she's still in it. As soon as I heard her story, I remember I went to my wife Susie when I first met her. When she was here in our early days, I said, hey Susie, how long was yours? She's like 10 years. Mine was a year and a half. Israel, let's do 40 of those years, right? So here's what you need to know. I don't know how long, for some people it might be a week. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do know this, that pruning is for every fruitful branch. But why? Because pruning is for more fruit. See, you have a God right now who's saying, I believe and I want to see you become everything that you want to, want to be. So let me just ask you a question. Why do you think God prunes us? Why does he do this? Look at this. This is the verse that hit me. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay? Now notice what this says. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Can I ask you guys a question? How many of you throw off everything that hinders your relationship with God? Okay, so I want to see if we have any liars in here. No, we don't. How many of you throw off every sin that entangles you? See, we don't do that. And so because God is going, but I have a race marked out for you. I know everything that you could be. He goes, then I'm coming in. Here's what's great about our God, you guys. He loves you too much to let you stay where you are. Now, here's what's interesting. God loves us too much to let us stay where we are. So I, this week, I decided, well, I'm going to look up some pruning websites, right? See if I can learn anything about pruning. Oh, my goodness. I found this website that actually is my message, okay? So here we go. The principles of pruning, okay? These are in your program. The principles of pruning. Here's the first principle. I'm going to quote the website. It says, look for branch angles or scaffolding branches, which are branches that grow from the main trunk, preferably even spaced at 45 to 50 degree angles. Leave these scaffolding branches for the basic framework of your tree. So what happens? If there's a gardener and he's got a tree, 
Apparently, the first thing you do is you look and you see the branches that you want and you decide the basic framework of your tree. Here's your blank. The first principle of pruning is you have to have a vision for the tree. You got to have a vision for the tree. And every good gardener, when they look at a tree or they look at our, our vines, or if you look at your rose bushes, you see, I don't have this vision at all. But when other people come, they can actually see what that rose bush could be. And because of that, they know it's like, oh, ooh, ah, yes, yeah, oh. And every time they cut something away, it's because they can imagine what you can be. And I want to tell you right now that God has a vision for what he wants you to be. And what is it? This is, I got the best news for you today. Because some of you are in here and you go, man, I'm living a great life. And God's like, oh, this ain't nothing. I don't care how fruitful you are. God has a vision for you to be more fruitful. And some of you are in here today and you're going, man, my life is just hard. and It's not that great. And I don't know what's going on. And I want to tell you right now, God is going, I can see I can see what you could be. And I'm the only one who knows. Because I'm eternal. I'm beyond time. I, actually, when I created you and knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew every day that I planned for you. He can see a vision for your life. Now, what is that vision? Right? Because he says, even in that other verse, he says, um, throw off everything that hinders and the sin because there's a race that's actually marked out for you. He knows the race he wants you to run. Now, here's what's interesting. <laughs> When God is taking this to your life and taking things out, it never feels very good. Here's what we have to know about God's vision for our life. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Classic stuff. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, what's that? Those would be fruitful people. If people love God, they do what God says. And they're called according to his purpose. So God is like, thank you so much. And so now here's the deal. I'm going to work because you love me and because you're called according to my purpose. And then, and this, I'll be honest with you, and I've tried to be super honest with you guys these last four months. In 2018, God has been freaking me out again. And I feel, because I can tell you what, I feel like, like he's against me when he takes one of these things to me. And I've shared this with you. This is just, just this year, 30 years now in the ministry. And God still doesn't make sense to me. But what does he say he's doing? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When God is doing something good, and this is how I felt this year, I'm like, God, why are you so against me? He's like, David, I'm not against you. I just love you in ways you don't want me to. You must understand that. And here's the key. God will only love you into the image of Jesus. So what he can see is when he sees anything in your life, in my life, that's not of Jesus, he's like, oh, that's going to suck the life out of him. Oh, that's going to make him go down the wrong path. And he takes it because why? Because he could see what you would be if you actually knew Christ. That's what is good. 
See, God's, God's ways are not our ways, but they are always good. They are always good. That's the first thing you need to understand. God has a vision for your life. Here's the second principle of pruning. It says the first rule of pruning is to remove any dead, injured, or diseased branches. When going to make a cut, this is so interesting, look for the branch collar, which is the wrinkled part near the base where the branch is connected to the tree trunk. Listen to this. This portion of the tree has all the cells necessary to heal wounds. Isn't that amazing? See, guys, can I tell you this again? When God created the world, all of everything that's created came from him. It's his idea. And so everything that you see in creation somewhere, somehow, is actually telling you something about God. And so in this pruning phase, here's what he's telling you, and you know this. Here's your second blank. Remove any dead or diseased branches. And that's why the Bible says throw off Throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, what's sin? Okay? Sin is basically anything that's not of God. So, so, so God just knows this. In God is life. It's everything that's right. It's everything that's productive. It's everything that's good. And so sin is stuff that's outside of God. And so in some way, it'll end up being destructive instead of constructive. It's why our world is such a mess today. Because most people, most of us, have trouble doing what God actually wants us to do. And so, he says, and, and, and sin hurts you or it hurts others around you. It entangles you and it keeps you from living the life that God has for you. So you know what's interesting? You know what the word prune actually means in the original Greek language? Cleanse. It means to cleanse. And this is the beautiful thing about God. So when you're involved in something that God doesn't want you to do, and the Holy Spirit actually convicts you of that, and you know, man, this is not what God wants me to do. He, what does he say? He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful to, and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. God literally is in, he's absolutely committed to helping you get out of your life the things that are hurting you, patterns in your life that are hurting you or hurting you, the relationships around you. And then really quick, I just want to tell you another lesson I learned in this. Is sin, your sin, entangles you, but so does other people's sin. Other people's sin to you can entangle you, right? And this is why God actually tells us, you must forgive others, Okay, and you know what that forgive means? It literally means I'm gonna, you owe me a debt. You did something wrong to me, and you owe me that. You should pay me back. And forgiveness means I'm gonna cancel the debt. I'm gonna cut it off, and you don't owe me anything. Well, Jamie Winship, right, when he was here, I was telling him about some of my major wounds, right? I have, anybody else got wounds? <laughs> I got major wounds. And I was telling him about these, these where those wounds came from. And the weird thing was, I'm like, but God, but Jamie, I've forgiven these guys. I've forgiven them for what they're doing. He said, I know, but you, you can forgive someone, but you still need to cut off the effects of what they've done to you. I'd never heard that before. And that was huge for me. See, what I needed to realize is like, okay, I'm not asking you guys to pay me back anymore. But yet, what they had done to me was still staying with me. And you need to cut that off too. 
And here's what you need to realize. They can't fix you. I, 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 did, some, I did two weeks of counseling seven years ago on a sabbatical I was at. And I love one of the things the guy told me. He said, if someone comes up and pops you in the nose and breaks your nose, and then they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me fix your nose. You go, don't, 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 right? Don't touch my nose. Because the person who hits you in the nose is not the one to heal your nose. You need a doctor to actually come and heal your nose. And so what you realize is somebody can actually do something to you and you can still have the effects of what they've done. You need to cut it off and say, I'm not expecting you to be able to heal me. That's huge. All right? So the first thing you got to do is remove any dead or diseased branches. So in your own life, and here's what God is saying, if there's stuff that's hindering you, he goes, if you're not going to confess those things and let me forgive you and cleanse you, then God will, I think one of the ways he cuts us is he goes, you're going to experience the consequences of your actions. See, God is not a helicopter parent, right? He's not a rescuer. <laughs> he allows us to experience the consequence of things, and sometimes it's that pain that actually finally moves us to change. Okay? So there you go. That's the second principle of pruning. God is going to say, hey, if there's anything in your life that's a sin, that's disease, that's not of me, we got to get that out. Here's a third one. Remove any competing branches that will cause problems for the tree. This is crazy. So that's your third blank. Remove any competing branches. Right? So let us throw off everything that hinders. Now this one, I'm going to tell you. If you're a Christian, if you've been reading the Bible, if you know what God's all about, it's not hard to know what sin is, right? It's in the Bible. It'll tell you what are God's ways and what aren't his ways. What's really hard is when something that's not sin is actually hindering you. So here's where God actually knows. He can look at us and go, man, there's stuff inside of you that's keeping you from saying yes to me, and it's not even sin. You know what it was for me? Ministry. That's kind of a good thing, right? You, you think, man, I'm doing the thing God want, wants me to be, and yet ministry got in a wrong place in my heart. It became my place of security. It became my place of significance. It became the most important thing to me. And God's like, Nelson, you can't have that. So I need to cut that out of your life. Because nothing else can be more important to you than me. Here, here's another one that, that, that's for me that actually hinders me. Sports. Sports hinder me. Now, what does that mean? It's like, I can tell you what, I love sports. And so why, and, and you know what's so cool? Is sports aren't bad, Right? Guys, help me out. Sports aren't bad, right? Okay, come on. Um, so, but here's the problem, is when I, I can get, they can, can become so important that all of a sudden I'm reading about them all the time. I'm watching them. I'm playing them. I, I, the next thing you know, I'm giving way too much time to them. And it hinders my relationship with my wife, with my kids. And the next thing you know, I'll say no to things that are actually valuable that God wants me to do because I want to do those things. I, I tell you this, family's another one. Your kids can actually be the thing that God needs to go, I'm sorry, I, yes, I want you to love your kids, but yeah, even your spouse. See, I always say this, Susie's an awesome wife. She's a lousy God. She's not meant to be my God. And so what happens is, you know what? So in, in Jesus, how do I know this is true? Because Jesus said, hey, if you're going to really follow me, you actually have to, this is so weird language, you have to hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your children. You're like, hate them? What? I thought, you know, don't you want me to love them? Of course he wants you to love them. 
What he means is in comparison to me. And family can become such a high value that next thing you know, God and calls you and he wants you to take a reckless step of faith and to follow him. And you go, but wait a second, I don't know if my kids will be safe. But wait a second, that might take us away from these things. And we have all these other things we pursue. And what's crazy is nobody's going to look at me and say, you know what's so great about these? Is nobody looks at you and says, Dave, that's sin. Sports are sin. No, they're not. To me, they are. And so you know what God has to do sometimes? If there's any competing branches in your life, if there's anything in your life that causes you to say no to God because they become so important to you, he loves you so much, and he knows if that doesn't get out of your life, you will never be the person I've created you to be. So we got to get rid of those competing branches. And I want to tell you, man, this is where I felt like God was saying to me, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? And that's huge because I want to tell you this, good things that get in God's place cease to be good. Let me say that again. Good things that get in God's place cease to be good. You, gotta, you added an extra O in there. <laughs> you take that out and make sure that nothing that's good becomes your God. All right? Okay, that's the third principle. Here's the fourth principle. Look for branches. This is so funny to me. Look for branches growing toward the inside of the tree and remove them to improve air circulation. When you remove a branch or a limb, the bud directly under the cut will take over and grow. For this reason, you should cut above outward-facing buds. Isn't that amazing? See, what's he saying? So remove any, here's your blank, remove any branches growing inward toward the tree. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna camp on this one, right? So here's Philippians chapter two, three, and four. Do, everybody actually say this one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, in the scripture it says, if you have selfish ambition, don't boast about that. Because that's not the wisdom that comes from heaven. Selfish ambition, James chapter 3 says this, selfish ambition is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Why? Because when two people try to have a relationship and both of them have inward branches going, but it's about me and my needs. And the other person's going, but it's about me and my needs. I'm supposed to follow my heart. Well, I'm supposed to follow my heart, but your heart ain't going where my heart wants to go. I'm telling you, every conflict in the world is because we want what we want. And Jesus showed us a life where he laid down his life for others. This is how we know what love is. And so if you have anything in your life that causes you to think more about yourself than your spouse, than your coworkers, than your friends, than your kids, anything, that's going to cause problems in your life. And Jesus, I can just tell you, God loves you so much that he will come in and go, man, this thing right here, it makes you think only about you. Wham. Bam. Because he loves you. He wants some air circulation. Air is the word for the wind of the spirit. He wants the spirit of God to be able to fill you up 
make you outward for others. All right, here's the last principle. Principle number five. This is crazy. A fruit tree should have only one central leading branch. Isn't that hilarious? Don't allow two leader branches to form or the tree will become weak. Identify the healthier or stronger leader and remove the other. The ideal apple tree has one central leader. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, did you guys actually write this for me? This is the, I mean, this is it. But again, what's God saying? He's just showing us something through nature. If you have a tree and there's two competing leading branches in your life, and, and, and Jesus said the same thing, right, when he was actually talking about money. He's like, if you have two masters in your life, he goes, you'll end up loving one and hating the other. That's just how it is. You can't have two masters in your life. And so in a pruning case, God just goes, hey, if you're actually going to have a fruitful tree, I'm going to come in. If there's a competing leading branch in your life, you have to remove it. And this is just God. This is his grace for you. So again, our nature, right, when Jesus started off this whole discourse, the first thing he said was this, I am the vine. I am the vine. I am the true vine, he says in a second. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one. So if you are connected to me, but you know what we like to do? We like to graft ourselves into other vines because we think that those are actually going to give us life. Again, it can be meant for me. It was ministry in my story, but it could be your job. You could literally be saying, this job is the most important thing to me. This position is what gives me my life. It gives me my significance. It can be a person. It can be a spouse. It can be your children. And we so right again, some of us say, man, if I only was married, that would actually fulfill me. And then we get married and we go, if I was only divorced, this would fulfill me. And then because we're trying to find what is it that's actually going to give me life and then financial gain. Some of us think, but if I, if I could only just, the leading thing in many of our lives, if I had just more resource, if I had more stuff, this would give me life. And that's what Jesus just said. He goes, this is so important. Because where your treasure is, he goes, that's where your heart is. So now your heart is actually caught up in a job because it gives you money because you can have stuff, and then you end up losing the job. Well, now what do you got? <laughs> See, and this is why God says you shall have no other gods before me because any other leading branch in your life could be gone tomorrow. And if it's gone tomorrow, what's going to happen to you? Are you going to be... <laughs> Are you going to literally find I have no air? I can't breathe. I don't have life because this thing other than God was gone. He loves you so much. He's like, I don't want you to ever have to go through that. Nothing on this planet could ever leave you and take away your life if you're connected to the vine. So I just want to tell you, man, all of us are human. And every one of us is going to struggle with this. Every one of us. So if you follow him, and he says you're a fruitful person, I, there are things in your life that still need to be cleansed. And so I'm going to take one of these because I love you so much. If you produce fruit, I'm going to go ahead and I, at times I will take and cut things out because I want you to be producing way more fruit than you ever imagined. 
So let me close with this. What's the practice then of pruning? What do you do when God is actually pruning you? Because apparently it's not producing fruit. So here it is, John 15, 5, he says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So let me tell you the three things I learned during this really dark, feeling like he dug a hole and covered me over, feeling like he cut away everything. There's three things you can do when God's doing that. Number one is you got to trust him. You just got to trust him. Okay, how many of you have ever had to go to surgery and have anesthesia and they knock you completely out? How many of you have ever had that? Did that freak anybody else out? I'm telling you, I thought I was fine for the surgery and then all of a sudden when I realized they're putting this mask on me and I'm going to go out and I'm putting my body in the hands of another person and they're going to cut me open. I, I don't know, I got all nervous inside, but what do I have to do? I have to trust that when that goes out and I can do nothing, that that surgeon has my best interest in mind and he'll cut out the thing that's not right to heal me. I'm telling you right now, the hardest thing for me the last three months has been to trust that what God's doing in me is actually loving me. But as soon as I trust that, then I can get to a place of peace. So trust that he's a good father who has vision for you to be more fruitful than you are now when he's pruning you. Here's a second one. You have to endure. You have to, Amy's enduring for five years. Susie for 10, me for a year and a half. Might be a week, might be, I don't, but you have to endure. When Jesus says remain in me, that word means to continue. Continue in me. Even when I'm doing these things. The Bible talks a lot about endurance and perseverance, and it says most of us don't ever see the full fruitfulness that God has for us because we don't persevere. We don't endure. We can't trust him. Now, I want to tell you, this is huge, you guys. When you're enduring, this is when you've got, this is when we need each other, okay? We need each other during these times. Because I can tell you, man, if you see somebody and they're like an, a, a prune tree right now and there's no fruit, the last thing you should be doing is going, man, what's up with you? Right? Like, how come you aren't fruitful? I remember the guy saying that. One of the worst things is to be in ministry when God's pruning you. Because <laughs> all you're doing is supposed to produce fruit. And some people come to you and go, man, what's your problem? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> so instead of trying to fix them, let's try to get some fruit because you should be fruitful. Don't try to fix people when God's actually doing, he's fixing them. <laughs> let, him, let God do what he's doing. Just come alongside, come alongside. Just tell him the truth. That's all I need. Just tell me the truth. Remind me that God can only be good. Remind me that he's working for my good. Remind me that he's pruning me so I'll produce more fruit. Just tell me those things. We need each other. And here's the last one, and the band can come on up. It's to surrender. The last thing you got to do when God is pruning you, and I remember, I'll remember the day, I was literally prostrate on the floor. Just, I was done. 
And that's when I heard, and I've shared this before here, but that's when I heard God say to me, David, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And while I was laying there is when I decided, I remember telling God, God, if this, if all of this pruning is so that somehow my life might be more beneficial for somebody else. And I was laying on the ground so I couldn't do this, but in my heart, I just said, then you do whatever you want to do with my life. I surrender my life. I surrender my life. Do with me whatever you want to do. And I want to tell you, if you will do this and put your hands in the air and let the God who can see fruitfulness way beyond what you have right now, the Spirit of God will fill you and you will become what he wants you to be. You know what's interesting? Is the vision for K2 happened while I was in California. In my darkest time, out of the blue, he gave me a vision. And five years later, the very thing I saw in my mind happened. I think God knew the K2 was going to happen. He's like, Nelson, you will never be able to do this if I don't cut some stuff out of your life. And I believe he sees stuff for you. So here's what I want you to do. Mike actually wrote a song that is Psalm 13. It's a psalm that Garrick just read. I want you to wrestle while they sing this song with God. And I want you to think, God, do I, is there any competing branches? Is there anything that gets my time, my attention, my resources more than you? Is there any diseased branches, dead branches? Is there stuff in my life that's actually destructive that you want to cut off? God, are there any branches where I'm living for me more than you or others? And then just say, during the song, just say, God, I trust you. I'm going to hang on with you, and I'm going to surrender to you. You do with me whatever you want to do, all right? Do that while they sing this.